I'm Wendy Michelle, personal trainer and nutritionist turned researcher, innovator, and precision wellness specialist. Welcome to Whole, Healthy, and Free. This podcast is all about equipping you with cutting-edge tools and information for accomplishing your health goals and becoming your best version of you. I have collectively spent over 20 years behind the scenes in clinical healthcare, in food and supplement manufacturing, in alternative medicine, and fitness marketing. What I've seen behind closed doors and experienced in real life has provided me with an education no formal textbook would dare to write about. From it all, I learned that health is much easier than it has been presented to be. People are capable of way more than they realize. And the majority of what masquerades as healthy is commonly what actually contributes to illness. I break it all down and bring it all to light for the sole purpose of giving you your power back so you can reclaim your health to live whole, healthy, and free. Hi, friends. I am pretty excited for this discussion today. If you remember, if you listened to it, in episode two, I talked quite a bit about the food and the diet industry. I highlighted not only the ingredients on the labels, but what is actually not on the labels. And during that podcast, I did intentionally skip over a important and intentionally bulleted discussion point because, well, as I was going through it, I realized that that particular topic would need its own episode. Because the whole plant-based diet situation, <laughs> it's a lot to unpack. And, and based on what is most referenced in articles and media feeds and social media, and just anywhere that I see it, I just don't really feel like it's presented well to the general public. And in, in my opinion, it's actually much more important conversation than just diet alone. I actually think the diet part is kind of simple. If, if we were to only discuss whether or not to be vegan, I could wrap this up in about mm, probably five minutes. <laughs> so what makes this topic lengthy is really my desire to be considerate of the multiple factors involved and, and to best expand on how, how the diet industry really um, and the food industry is capitalizing on this, and we'll call it a trend, um, for lack of a better term. And you'll see as I get into this, you know, what I mean by that. And I also want to start with this. If you know me or have been listening to me for any amount of time, you probably already know that I loathe manipulation, especially when it comes to people's health choices and their bodies. There are a few things, just a few things in this world that actually get under my skin, but intentional deceit, fear tactics, and uh, manipulation, they, well, they make my blood boil. And our food industry is full of this, and I'm personally, I'm over it. Um, and I think people are too. I, I think it's crucial, regardless of personal opinion or personal benefit, to remain a professional. And I, I know this might sound crazy in the world that we're living in right now, but trusting people that you go to for sound advice requires integrity and, well, trust. M most people, they don't know about nutrition or human biology or what nutrients do what or what chemicals create disease, which ones are safe, how food and supplements are manufactured. You know, this is not just common knowledge, um, it's not run-of-the-mill information. And they're supposed to be experts and advocates for that. But the issue that I consistently am stumbling over 
is that at the highest level, unfortunately, many experts are advocates for the corporations and not for the people. Even, even documentaries on, on different food topics, uh, on, on any side of it, really, whether you're for vegan or against it or you know, whatever, in most cases, um, they're just glorified commercials. And once you realize who fund them, it, it all makes sense. And so all that to say is I'm an advocate for people above all else. And this podcast will be from that vantage point, as my hope is that all my podcasts are from that vantage point. It's a priority of mine to empower others with as much information as possible from multiple perspectives so that people can choose without feeling pressured or judged or shamed. So here we go. Plant-based diets. Let's start with my professional input. First, as you know, I, I create plant-based food products. As a product developer and formulator, actually all of my work in the food manufacturing industry has been formulating and, and scaling plant-based products. And when I started over 10 years ago making recipes, there was this huge, this massive gap in the offerings in the stores for meatless options. And if there was anything available, if you could find anything at all, it was really garbage. Through my career, and as a requirement of making, making, intentionally making healthy choices and options to fill that gap, I have had to do ex- an extensive amount of research for years. I've had to go in-depth into the ingredients and, and the processing that takes place and all the other ways that the industry is innovating processed proteins that mimic meat. So my experience in this space is I, I feel like it's unique because I'm not just reading about it, which, you know, can, can lend itself some, you know, some really good information. We can read a lot about it, but I actually have my hands in it. So when we get to what is available for those of you, let's say there's some of you listening that are on the fence that maybe are thinking about eating more plant-based or just completely going plant-based. I will share what I know from firsthand experience in regards to the ingredients and the processing and so on. And this information that I'm gonna share is simply data collected from, well, being in the rooms. Now, as a nutritionist, I am actually not opposed to a vegan diet. And I know that some people may disagree with that, but now let me, let me backstep a minute. I'm not opposed to a vegan diet when the common limitations, which are, you know, nutrient deficiencies, when those things um, have been addressed and corrected, then I'm not really opposed to it because my goal is to help make sure people are nourished and the optimal versions of themselves. And it's also important that um, whatever diet that I'm, somebody wants to try or, or, or has adopted, is, it's important that it's successfully serving that individual's beliefs, their ethics, their overall health and their personal goals. These are all things that need to be considered because that's what matters to me. That's what I think is most important as a teacher of health and wellness. I, I work with individuals and I respect and value and consider every aspect of their desired lifestyle when, when I'm helping them choose what to eat. In fact, no one person is the same. So I don't dismiss any option, really. That's just my professional position. I, 
I want to optimize each individual person's nutritional strategy with all things considered and based on what's going to work for them best. So now personally, on a personal note, I have actually been on a vegan diet and I have also been on a raw vegan diet and both significantly helped my health. They really did. Um, it was very impactful when I was sick and, and healing. Um, it made a huge difference for me. And it worked during a specific time and season of my life. And both, I was, I was raw vegan first and then moved into vegan and then eventually vegetarian and so on. And they all, they've all happened in seasons as my needs and my goals changed. I just have always adapted my diet to accommodate what it is that I need. And all these individual, these different diets, and specifically the plant-based one, they did work for me. Um, I personally felt amazing. And so when I published a cookbook, it was kind of shocking to most people that my cookbook was not plant-based, that it wasn't vegan. And I, I guess people thought that because I practiced that lifestyle or because that was my diet, that I thought everybody should be on that diet. And that's not true. It wasn't true, and it's, and it's not true today. What I want is for everyone to feel amazing. <laughs> I want everyone to experience the fullness of their personal best. Simply because it worked for me didn't mean that I believed that it was going to work for everybody. It's actually never been my goal to get people on my bandwagon. I really love to help people build their own. So all that being said, I do believe that choosing a meat-free lifestyle is the individual's choice. And from a health standpoint, there are some people that actually can't do it. They don't feel good. And then there's some people that do well for a little bit, but then they need to adjust and go back to adding in some fish or some meat. And, and then there's others that have actually never even had an animal product at all and never will, and they feel awesome and their labs indicate that they have healthy micronutrient levels. And all of this is good to know, but even that's not enough because you actually never know what somebody else is, is really doing. Like, for instance, that person that, um, that, it, that it really works for, maybe they were raised in a plant-based family and they just have a really broad understanding of all of the elements that need to be incorporated and they do it really well and, and balance. But then again, maybe the person that it, it, that it didn't work for, maybe they forgot to mention that they just pretty much ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and potato chips. So that information is important too when you're listening to other people about what's worked for them and what hasn't is to get the whole story. We are... <clears throat> We're an eclectic, unique bunch, us humans. <laughs> and one of the, it's actually one of the best things about what I get to do is that I, I have to create a new strategy every time for each person. So I never get bored because no one person is the same, so nor are there meal plans. So now that that's out of the way, I, I think it's time that we dive into what is probably the most important information to know about plant-based eating. So if you're considering it, or if you're already doing it, or you know maybe even if you're opposed to it completely, I still would encourage you to keep listening. There's actually a lot in here, and there's something in here for each one of you. 
essentially there are three main reasons why or that I have come across that um, that people choose plant-based diets. There's health and there's animals and and uh, environment. And because of what I do and um, my heart on the matter, I think we'll start with health and then move into some of the other items. Hmm. Since plant-based has become, and this is just in all honesty, a massive money-making trend in the food industry, it's made it much easier and it's, it has made it more inviting for people to give it a try. The problem is, that is actually the problem. The problem is, is that the majority of people who are trying it out for health reasons are not actually even eating plants. What they're eating is highly processed ingredients that are derived from some plant sources that have been made into something that resembles meat. I feel like we should just call it what it is. It's processed proteins and not minimally processed. We're talking highly processed so if the goal is to eat more plants, this is actually not happening at all. People are trading food, like real food, for processed foods. And I covered um, the, the processed food issues extensively in episode two and, and the health issues that are associated with that. Now, if the goal is to eat less meat from a health standpoint, that is an understandable goal. And those processed proteins, they could help accomplish the reduction of meat because you have these other options. And this goes for other animal-based products as well. The processed egg-like products, the, the processed cheese-like products, etc. cetera. Uh, many people have a dairy issue and um, they are sensitive to eggs. And so in those cases, the goal is truly health-inspired for them because they feel sick if they eat those things. And the question is not, should they eat them? Obviously, they shouldn't because they don't feel good when they, when they do. But do they really need, or do you really need a processed version of those ingredients, or should those items just like not be part of the meal plan? Like just not have eggs or just not have cheese? Do you really need a, a, a pretend version of that? And keep in mind that we're focusing on health here. And if it's grown, we're manufactured in a lab or factory, it, it is arguably not healthy. Manufactured food, meat-like, egg-like, cheese-like products are void of important nutrients that speak the same language as your body. And I learned all about them and the, the standard ingredients that are used while working in this industry and specializing in plant-based meat alternatives. See, in my kitchen, when I was making meat-like meatballs and, uh, and burgers and shredded chicken-like recipes, I was just using plants, like how they grow from the ground. I, I didn't do much to them. I didn't, I didn't really need to. They, the way they grew just lent themselves perfectly to a similar structure in whatever it was that I was putting together. And I, I honestly thought this would be how the food industry did it. I, I just thought that I was under the impression, at least, that the plant-based movement, the movement itself was for plants and, and for health. I mean, they say it's plant-based and better for health. So I was disappointed to find out that it's, that that's not really the case. And, and certainly not the case in the way that the consumer would be led to believe. 
and not in either way is it beneficial, not for plants or for health. So here's a list of ingredients. I actually just pulled some together from my time um, formulating and, and, and scaling product and the research that I did, and then also by just looking at some of the labels of the latest and greatest ones that have been introduced to the marketplace. But keep in mind that these, this list that I'm going to go through, these are just what's uh, on the labels, except for when I mentioned that they're not, when I'm talking about the processing agents, which we know already uh, are allowed to remain off-label. They are the processing agents, so they actually do not need to be listed on the label. So these are some of these things um, you just would never know are there. I'm going to try to run through them quickly. And, um, and I would also still encourage, as I always do, I would encourage you to really investigate the ingredients on these products and, and imagine that for them to get from what they're saying on the label into the, the burger or the thing that you're eating, there is a lot of steps in there. There's lots of processing, which means every time they have to change a shape or change a color, there's going to be a processing agent involved. So we're going to start with isolated soy protein which actually has been considered to be an industrial waste product. It's, and it's not even on the, the grass list, which is um, generally recognized as safe. Uh, it's, it's not listed on there. Um, and soy is primarily, for the, well, for the most part, especially in, in industrial factories, it's, it's genetically modified. But even the organic versions of soy still has super high concentrates of, um, of an enzyme inhibitor called phylates. Phytates, phytates, and um, they block mineral absorption in your gut. And they're they're naturally found in, in in several different types of foods, like nuts and grains and seeds. But they're so high in soy, it's almost impossible to get rid of it, and it just lingers in your stomach, and so it makes it difficult for you to absorb your minerals. And then soy is also just naturally high in um, trypsin, which or trypsin inhibitor, I should say, which is an enzyme that we need to digest proteins. And so without them actively working, um, your, the protein can't break down fully, and then that will lead to stomach issues like bloating and cramps, um, loose and bloody stools, like not fun, not fun stuff at all. So, and then this, is, of course, is in addition to all the other things that we know about soy, which, um, you know, is, is extensive. So whether genetically modified or non-GMO, soy is not on my list of healthy things. Um, and then we have pea protein isolate. And this particular ingredient isn't actually just peas, despite what the word would insinuate, but it's actually a, a mixture of things. Um, it's not isolated really at all, except for from its original design, it's been isolated, but then some things are added into it because the process requires additional, but like smaller amounts of ingredients um, in order to, to accomplish what it is that they're doing. And the companies don't actually divulge those ingredients that they're using. Um, the mix is considered proprietary. And I should mention this as well, that you should basically be leery of anything that has the word isolate with it because uh, hexane is commonly used as a solvent for the extraction process. Um, they say that they get rid of most of it, but I mean, really just a tiny bit of any toxin is still not okay, especially if these are things that you're consuming multiple times per day over the course of weeks, over the course of years, you can see how that would quickly add up. Um, and we know that hexane is a neurotoxin and it impacts your central nervous system functions, hormones, mood, reproductive health. And, you know, hexane's not on the label. So um, you can just, for for the purpose of 
I guess just safe choices. I wouldn't probably go after anything that has an isolate unless you ask the companies, which you totally can do. They have a contact section on their website for a reason. Ask them how they extract or if they use hexane as a solvent. Um, I do know that some companies are are working on fixing this, by the way. I, I always want to add that in there because I do believe that there are people who are trying to do this better, but it's important for me to at least be completely honest with what's going on so that you're aware so that you can make better choices. There is yeast extract, which is really just a fancy name for MSG. A lot of people have issues with MSG. Then we've got canola oil and soybean oil, and these are those polyunsaturated fatty acids, or PUFAs, they're also known as. Um, and even a non-GMO version of this, like an organic version of these, are, are still not very impressive um, because they are still uh, just, they're still a mess, honestly. They're still oxidizing, they still plasticize, they still go rancid in the processing and extract, extraction process. And so therefore they must be bleached and deodorized, which you know, neither one of those things are gonna be listed on the label and also not healthy. Then we have dipotassium phosphate and potassium chloride, which are preservatives. We have glyphosate. I went into that in detail in episode two. So if you didn't listen, go back to that. It's very disruptive to the human microbiome and the gut and the immune system. It's also considered to be a carcinogen also not on the label. Unless you're eating something that's organic or specifically non-GMO, you should just assume that this glyphosate is in your food. Then modified potato starch and cultured dextrose, this is like a weird thing that they do where they ferment glucose with a bacteria from, from dairy and they use it in the production of cheese. And it can cause candida and um, blood sugar spikes. And then you've got corn, I mean, of any form, corn, like any form, corn, starch, corn fiber, really no matter how you process it, the bottom line is over 90% of it is genetically modified and it leads to leaky gut and immune dysfunction. And then there's also a corn specific insecticide that is, um, it's known as, as, uh, as BT, BT toxin, which it, it, it creates all kinds of inflammatory issues, autoimmune system reactions and allergies. Then you have a soy leg hemoglobin. This by definition is actually a genetically modified organism and a basic overview of how they make this. It, it, it's really an additive. It's a gene that's extracted from the root of a, of a genetically modified soybean and then they insert that into a strain of yeast. And, and anyway, then this genetically modified like hemoglobin is then added to this meat-like mix. And then you have like methyl cellulose and food starch modified. And I mean, why anything that says modified, you know it's being shifted from its original design. It's being changed somehow. Um, just those are, those are all questionable. And then of course, gluten. I mean, the, the list goes on and on. And I know you get the point. No, none of these ingredients qualify as healthy. And I didn't even get into all of them. Another thing that's really important, like an important distinction that I want to leave you with is that safe does not equate to healthy. So just because something has been maybe listed as generally recognized as safe, which some of these ingredients have not, you, it's important to know that that does not necessarily qualify it for healthy. So when eating for the goal of health, these ingredients that I've just listed in conjunction with the fact that they are heavily processed are in fact, not healthy. 
So now, I think in all fairness, because it's important to look at this from all sides, let's talk about the problem with real meat. The, the bulk of the animal products in the marketplace are from factory farming. And the list of ingredients that these, that these animals have in them um, are long. Not only are they um, injected um, with many things, but they're also fed many unhealthy things. There's, we're, we're talking antibiotics and hormones and um, genetically modified food, um, garbage food, like literally. Um, uh, our farm-raised fish are colored, and there's all sorts of weird stuff going on with them. And then there's medication. I mean, they're, they're sick animals. They're, just, they, they're sick. And let's not forget that um, even the processed deli meats, sausages, hot dogs, things like that, they're full of nitrates and junk fillers and binders and other chemicals, so also not healthy. <laughs> so based on all this info alone, it would seem that there is just nothing healthy to eat. Um, and it's so obvious to me why people are frustrated with food and just abandon it altogether. Just why, why even try? Why even try eating better at all? Um, even I feel frustrated with food, but never fear. There is a strategy. There is always a strategy. But before we get there, I just have a few other bullet points that I want to cover as far as the health is concerned with um, these meat alternatives. So besides the, the soy, pea, corn, processed meat-like options, there is another meat alternative that is, is starting to make an appearance. And this, this is known as cell-cultured cell meats, or you might hear it as lab-grown meat. And uh, this, this um, is not like lab-grown like with plants. This is actually actual animal cell meat. And it's done as a way to produce meat without harming the animals uh, by culture, like culturing animal cells in vitro or in a test tube. And then utilizing techniques that have been developed for skeletal muscle tissue engineering. And this technically isn't plant-based, but it's important to understand because it will end up on shelves next to the Beyond Meat stuff. And so I think it's important for you to know what this is. These cultured cells go under, well, they go through what's like just the natural cellular division. And then they're grown to a certain point, and then they become like meat. I mean, they are meat, but it's grown in a tube. So the question is, are they healthy? Well, there's a few things about these that I have some concerns about. First of all, the animal cells um, are still subject to what's called the Hayflick effect, and which means essentially cells, they can only divide so many times before they stop and just naturally start to break down in the process of cellular death. And occasionally, some cells, if you leave them unchecked, they'll mutate, which is you know cancer. So pushing the boundaries of these cells um, in, in these labs will increase the chance of these mutations. And what effect these particular cultured cells have on the human body is at, well, at this point, it's unknown and unexplored. Also worth noting, in order for the cells to grow, they actually need food. So in their test tube, they actually need um, like a, a nutrient-rich cell culture or like a medium. And the medium that's currently being used as an industry standard is fetal bovine serum. So this is obtained by, well, let's just say it's not humane. Essentially, the blood of a calf fetus is needed, and the process results in killing animals. 
So this actually means that they can't be considered what they're calling a clean cultured meat. So companies are exploring other options, and some of these other medium options are lab-created, so synthetic, um, and some of the mediums that they're exploring are human blood derivatives. So it would be lab, lab meat grown in human blood. There is one company that is claiming that they are, they have already, or I can't remember if they have already or they're working on it, but that there's a, a medium that they're going to be using and they're calling it, um, uh, it's from CHO cells. And so that sounds pretty innocent, just CHO cells. But what, what CHO stands for is Chinese hamster ovaries. So um, kind of important to note what these mediums are that are actually growing uh, the meat in the labs. And another process or part of the process to, to mention is that when these cells proliferate, they actually are producing toxins. So in the process, they have developed a synthetic resin that helps to remove these toxins. And as of right now, there's actually no information on what this resin is or how they make it or what the ingredients of it is. There's also no um, information really available as far as what the processing ingredients are because again, it's considered proprietary and it's still in development. This, uh, this cell cultured process has been very expensive, as you might imagine, it's growing meat in a lab. So in order to get the price down, like all things at scale, it actually requires massive production facilities with these extensive industrial lines that are specifically designed for the cultured meat production. And they utilize a ton of energy. I'm not exactly sure how this all offsets environmental concerns because, well, they've just begun building them. And a few other little tidbits to know as well is that in these facilities, um, the cells are grown in a they're grown in a in a bioreactor, um, and then they are put through these production lines. After they've been processed, the cultured cells start to come out of the line, kind of like soft serve ice cream. And then there's one particular company that's utilizing 3D printing technology to create a final product so that it looks like a steak or a piece of bacon or whatever kind of meat that they're printing for consumers to eat. They actually remind me a lot of the little plastic food that I used to pretend to shop with when I was about three years old. Um, the little plastic pieces of bacon and eggs and um, steaks. It looks very similar, actually. Uh, and then also, a bioreactor. I, I think it's important to mention this as well. I kind of skipped past that, um, what, that they grow them in a bioreactor. A bioreactor is a closed system, and they actually they use it for upstream bioprocessing. It's a technology that they, they use to culture cells um, and produce biopharmaceuticals. Bioreactors support all different kinds of applications in the production of vaccines, therapeutics, gene therapies, cell therapies, et cetera. And, you know, just from my observation, I'm seeing an awful lot of intentional merging between the between drugs and food, and honestly, that really concerns me. At this point, the cell-cultured meat is not FDA-approved in the United States, but lobbyists and corporations are working rapidly to bring it in. So thought you should know about that when it shows up in um, your freezer case. Or I don't even know if they're going to put it in the freezer, maybe in the Anyway, when you see it, now you know. Uh, also, I, if you recall, in a prior episode, I was talking about how we should hold companies accountable, that we should have advocates you know, in the, 
in these factories and the companies who are looking out for our health, not just from the food safety standpoint, but from like actual physical health. So for fun, uh, here's a list of some of, of the people, the titles of the people who will be making the food for you and your family in this sector of the industry. You're going to have some bioengineers, biomaterial engineers, cell engineers, sensory, sensory and perception engineers, um, chemical engineers, and cell culture engineers. I, I did actually survey multiple companies, and so far these labs don't seem to have any nutritionists. Now, Sometimes a, an occasional chef would pop up, and and I I'm not saying that I called them all, so I I'm not saying that there aren't any, but the ones that I reached out to or did look into, they actually do not have a holistic nutritionist on staff, and I do feel like that is important. That if that's who you would hire if you wanted to eat better, well, shouldn't those be the people who are advising alongside a food scientist and a cell culture engineer? Shouldn't there be that entity involved in the process of decision-making and creation. Just my opinion. I don't know if it matters. Oh, but I also want to mention that this industry, the specifically the cell-cultured one, is actually estimated to be worth about $25 billion by 2030. So essentially making our entire food supply dependent upon and, and in the hands of the big food corporations. And this, in turn, will reduce um, the ability of our local and small farmers and ranchers, the ability to, they won't be able to, to produce the, the food that, that we've, you know, we've eaten for the last, I don't know, since the beginning of time that's grown with soil and sun and water. And likely if this continues, that type of food that grows in soil, sun and water um, will be close to obsolete. And how this impacts our health overall actually could be potentially tragic. The, the human body and the microbiome have been designed in, in such a way that when it's uninterrupted, it, it, they ensure that we're obtaining what we need. We, we, we coexist with the earth for a reason, the, with the planet and the food that's grown and the soil. There's a, there's a reason for all of this. Um, and so if, when that's, if that's removed, there's just no telling what that's going to look like because we've never done it before. Uh, our bodies are able to to help us push towards one thing or or eliminate something else. Like if we just are, if it's not interrupted, and that's so important to say, if it's an uninterrupted system, uh, it will drive us towards certain things. It'll drive us away from certain things. You know, if people don't want to eat meat, naturally speaking, the mere sight of it should actually turn their stomach. And so it's confusing to me a little bit why a burger in any form even still appeals like why do chicken like nuggets still get like the thumbs the thumbs up why is it so important to to squish processed proteins into shapes and sizes and and added colors and textures that have been lab created just to fool people i mean maybe at the end of the day most people just still want meat is that a natural desire that we're trying to minimize or eliminate? I mean, are there minerals and nutrients in the meat that the body needs? We know that as of right now, the alternatives are missing key beneficial fatty acids and vitamins and minerals that are found in animal protein and like bioavailable vitamin B12 and, and the most bioavailable form of iron. 
So why not just teach people how to get fully nourished with plants directly? Like why smash them and process them to create a whole category of, of products? I'm, maybe, maybe that $25 billion has something to do with it. Personally, I'm not fooled and neither is my body. So I was going to offer some solutions towards the end of this podcast, but that was a lot. Um, so I feel like it'll be enlightening and refreshing to just to do that now, to offer some suggestions about what to do with all these new fun, fun facts about your health and the food that's available. So if you are or if you feel like plant-based is for you or you are already uh, on a vegan diet, here's what I would say. Don't rely on pretend meats or processed proteins. Hire a holistic nutritionist or a professional to design a meal plan for you that gets you the full spectrum aminos and minerals and vitamins and essential fatty acids and can help guide you into any supplementation that might be needed. Someone good will will also give you options for eating out or keeping it convenient, just basically living your best life unrestricted. Just make it truly plant-based, not processed-based. Don't be starstruck by by the trending food innovations. You can get your nutrients from real food. You don't really need to subject yourself to the processed options for the purpose of health. And you're worth investing in, so hire someone to help you do it right. Oh, and I think it's really important to know your why before you commit. So if you happen to be on the fence... Know, know why. Know why you're making this choice so that it is meaningful to you. Dietary, like Dietary choices need to be personal and not influenced by media or food bullies. You know yourself better than anyone. Listen to your gut and don't outsource your intuition. Now, if you want to simply reduce consumption of animal products but are not planning to go full plant-based, Support your local ranchers and farmers who are practicing regenerative farming. Those meats are without that whole list of nasty items that I rambled off earlier. Um, plus, you'll have a relationship with the people who are raising them so that you can ask them, you can literally go up to them and ask them a question about what are they feeding them, you know, how do they treat them. All that, you can learn all that stuff directly because you're, you're in relationship with that person. Ask your local restaurants to support these same ranchers and farmers so that when you eat out, you know that the animal products are better quality. Uh, make sure to fill the rest of your diet. So whatever you're remo- however much uh, you know, animal products you're removing, make sure that you're replacing it with high-quality, nutrient-dense plants so that you can make sure to balance out any lost nutrients that were coming from animal products. And for you as well, I would say hire a holistic nutritionist to help you do this. It's, I mean, it's always a good idea. And... It will relieve you of a lot of the initial stress, which will make the transition so much easier. And last but not least, but while still on the topic of health, there are actually ways to formulate plant-based foods that are not highly processed. And I know because I, because I did it. It's possible. Not easy, but absolutely possible. So I would encourage everyone to know that you actually have a say in and who's making your food and I encourage you to know who is making your food and who is advocating for you in the factories where your food is being made insist on quality and transparency is really not so much to ask this is this is the food that we're eating it's really important call them ask them 
you know the story. I've already been on that soapbox, so we can move on now. Let's talk about the animal considerations of this of plant-based eating. And there is no doubt, I'm the first to say, I, the factory farming is horrendous. The way in which animals are raised for food production is, it's awful. And this is a real issue that we need to address. I mean, if you're like, Wendy, I'm going to eat meat every day, no matter what you say, then all I have to say to you about that is, friend, that industry is dirty, and those animals should not be raised or treated that way. And you should not be eating that meat or any byproducts of it. Raising animals ethically has to be a conversation when it comes to our health. It can't just be, well, what it, what it has become, which is this superficial version of it. We have to talk about it, about the animals, their health, our health, and the health of the planet. The question is, is it, is it really a solution to just make pretend meat? Because in, in my opinion, at least from from my standpoint, I don't feel like anything is a true solution if it just causes more problems than it solves. There's actually ways to do this that are win-win-win across the board. Um, regenerative farming and sustainable ranches are some of those options, at least I feel that they are. I think that they're real solutions. And I've studied at length how the ecosystem works and how it's all been thrown off, but not because of not just because, I should say, not just because of all the animals, but because of the entire system of nature being industrialized. It's all off balance, but it's, it's not gonna, we're not going to just push all the blame on one thing or the other. We, we all play a role in this. It, it does require some creative thinking and innovation to, to get our land back, to heal our plants, to improve our water and our air and our soil and the health of our animals, like all that stuff is going to take time and work and creativity, but it's totally possible. And I feel like we owe it to the planet. If people really care as much as they say they do, then let's put our heads together and let's make real solutions where the winning is for everyone. The winning is on all sides. There's, um, there's actually this amazing movie that I love that comes to mind every time I talk about this. It's called uh, The Biggest Little Farm. And I think it's still, you can still get it on Amazon and rent it. I'm telling you, it's so beautiful. It, it doesn't really share much other than just what biodynamic farming is and what it looks like from, from all sides of it. The hard stuff, the, the cool stuff, the stuff that you would have never even imagined is possible with nature. It's just so incredible. And I feel like that's a, at least a, a starting point if somebody wanted to learn about what am I talking about with regenerative farming or biodynamic farming. I, I would absolutely recommend that. I, I think it's something that everyone should watch. And uh, I actually think that one of the biggest mistakes that we've made when it comes to our food is that we've completely disconnected with it. Like in the 1900s, there was, I think, 40% of people were living on farms. And, and then that declined rapidly post-World War II. And then as of, I think it's 2018, less than 1% of people live on farms. So that means to me that unless you're studying it, a very small percentage of our population really understand what is happening to our food at the source. They Very few people really understand how our ecosystem works together, but also how it's been so disrupted. 
and how our attempts to try to, you know, be smarter than nature and do it better than nature, how that actually is hurting things. Uh, we've been so blessed by abundance and, and ease of access, but in a lot of ways, it's almost been, I think, to our demise. We've lost appreciation and gratitude. Majority of people don't really even know what fruits and vegetables taste like because they've either only had sweetened, processed versions of it or they've experienced poor examples of it because of the soil. Like when I cook meals for people, I mean, let's be honest, like I'm not a chef. I actually have no skills in the kitchen. I am not trained to even handle a knife. But when I cook meals for people, what I, what I can do is I can, I can source exceptional food. I know what food is supposed to taste like the way that it was designed. I know what, it is, what it's like when it's undefiled. But when people eat my food, they think that I have some kind of special thing going on or some kind of talent. But the reality is it's not me. They're just tasting food the way that it was created to taste. It, it, this disconnect that we have with our food has also made it so easy for people to just overconsume meat. We have to stay connected. There are actually several amazing companies that are educating people and bringing them back to their food source. One that just comes to mind quickly is a company out of California called Belcampo Meats. Uh, it is for this very reason, this disconnect that they have built within their business model, the ability to reconnect people to the meat source. And it makes a profound impact when people realize what they're eating, whether meat or plant, and what it takes to, to raise it um, from seed to table. Uh, I personally have not purchased meat from a supermarket or a corporate store in over 10 years. I... I just do not buy any meat from factory farms. I can't do it ethically. I absolutely cannot do it from a health standpoint, and I would never serve it out of my kitchen. Uh, it's just I've seen too much. I've been involved too much, and that is like my hard line. So I'll either buy it local from a rancher or I'll have it shipped from companies that have created solutions to support you know, small ranchers that are doing regenerative farming and sourcing of their meat. Um, I actually have no problem going for quite some time without meat if I need to, if my only other options are factory farm diversions. It's that important to me. The ranchers are that important to me. The farmers are that important to me. The people that I'm serving food to are, the animals are, and my health is. They, I guess they say that the average American eats like, and I, I have no sources for this. I just, this is just off the cuff, I just re recalled that they say they eat like 200 pounds of meat per year, the average American. So I don't know what that equates to per day, but from a health standpoint, that's absolutely not necessary. If we're talking about nutrients that we need to get from meat, we can do that. I don't think that we need to do it from, you know, to that extent. I think that's a little bit extra. Uh, but um, also, if the meat sources were better, I think that it would even be less than what I'm guessing. I just don't think that it's necessary, and it certainly contributes to this factory farming industry. I think being more strategic with our nutrients and the, the per, our personal needs will help to change this obscene amount of meat being produced at the expense of animal lives and our environment and our plants and our health. And, you know, actually, another thing, as I was pulling, as I was pulling resources and data a few years ago about factory farming, I actually made a list of the reasons that people feel this treatment of animals is so cruel. 
And I made this list. This is something I just do. I know it maybe it's weird, but I always make a list of what the problems are. And then I deeply understand each individual problem so that when I'm attempting to create a solution for it, um, those come a lot easier when I can see what I'm trying to solve broken down into individual components. If you were to just say, you know, animals are causing some issue with the climate, that's a big problem. It's hard to uh, to really address that unless you to break it down into individual components. So as far as the cruelty of animals or the treatment of animals, I, I made this list. And so here's this list. Um, the, there's a dense population of them. They're crowded conditions. It requires antibiotics and vaccines because of the conditions and environment. They're forced to be on medications or eat hormones in their food uh, in order to produce milk or eggs or to get fatter. They're fed with food that's unnatural to its origin, and it's chemically driven, and it contributes to sickness and excessive fat accumulation. So not at all natural. Um, it's not how they were designed to live. We make them be so much bigger than they are supposed to be. I mean, that's just that alone has to be a lot. And they're not able to roam free. They're imprisoned to a life that makes them sick and miserable. And it's awful. And as I looked at this list, I actually was reminded of another species that's living in similar conditions with vaccines and antibiotics and hormones in the food, uh, a, a pretty sedentary lifestyle, little movement in comparison to uh, the species' natural design and the manipulated, crowded conditions despite plenty of natural space to move around and excessive fat accumulation, food-like products that are full of chemicals and are unnatural to the species' origin and design and increased illness despite the advances in understanding and having alternative remedies. That sounds a lot like us. And I was like, whoa. I'm not so sure how I feel about that correlation. But the reality is it does. And, and maybe that's why it has been overlooked. Because we accept these conditions for ourselves and our families. So why would it bother us if it's happening to the animals? And in addition to that, if people will fight for these animals to be free of these conditions, but then accept the same conditions for themselves, how does that even make sense? People and animals and the planet are important. The balance is off, even with and especially in some of these solutions, these highly processed food solutions being proposed, it's a slippery slope. And honestly, from my perspective, we are not far off from, from being factory farmed people. So like I said at the beginning of this episode, there's a lot more to this and it requires a complete reassessment. Getting caught up in the superficiality of it all is simply keeping us blind and sick and also at odds with each other because enough with the food bullying. So that is all pretty heavy. So I'm gonna refresh us again, take us into some helpful tips based on what we've just learned. If you are plant-based, understand that plant-based food production uses and abuses animals, requires livestock, emits greenhouse gases, living animals, insects, and the ecosystem are all negatively impacted by big food production. The, the sustainable solution to these issues for humans, animals, and the planet, do I don't feel like they come in a lab. I feel like they come from realigning with our original design 
and reconnecting to nature and understanding the biodynamics of it all and then holding it all with reverence. Innovation can absolutely scale nature. I know, because I've done it. But to dismantle nature under the guise of innovation is tragic to every species. Now, if you're a person who just wants to consume less animal products, we do not need to eat as much meat as the factory farming industry would lead one to believe. Reducing portion sizes and or limiting the uh, amount of meat-based meals that you have per week, making sure that the source of meat is local and ethical, uh, regenerative, hopefully, will tremendously help with your health and the animals and the planet. And if you are just human, you need real organic food, not processed food, not genetically modified food, like grow it, cook it, bake it, save the packaged convenience foods for emergencies or like last minute hiccups, you know, life got too crazy. And so you have this organic version of, of something that you can, you know, throw in the oven or something. Don't let that be your main food source. People's immune systems are wrecked. Their guts are wrecked. Their central nervous systems, wrecked. Hormones, wrecked. Mental health, wrecked. I literally can name this. I could go on all day with all the different things that I see on a regular basis. And I can tie all of these things with lots of supporting data straight back to the food sources. We have been designed to have energy, to be resilient, to be happy and productive. The decline of our well-being happens in small doses. It's the little toxins that get passed by because, well, it's just a little bit, but over the course of days and weeks and months and years, it turns into a lot of what we're seeing and experiencing today, and we don't have to. We actually do not have to feel any of these things. But it does require consistent and intentional small changes to reverse it. It's absolutely possible. And I really feel like it's needed. I think that pretty much covers it. I, I actually I did skip over quite a bit because I wanted to get it all in. But sometimes this conversation feels a little heavy to me because, <laughs> one, I'm obviously so passionate about it. Two, I'm frustrated for people who are trying to make good choices and they feel like at every turn there's marketing that's manipulating them by calling something healthy when they look at the packaging and the ingredients are like, that doesn't make any sense. And it's just, they're capitalizing on, on, on the lack of knowledge of the people. And I just, it makes me, it makes me crazy. So we'll, we'll just wrap it up for now. Thank you so much for listening. I hope it all makes sense. Um, thank you for hearing my heart on the matter and just considering the bigger picture when it comes to plant-based and really any other manufactured trend that comes along that has potentially, even potentially negative implications on our health and humanity. And I, I also want to mention I, I do have some fun things coming up, including a book that will help to simplify the whole thing I was talking about, the, you know, grow it, cook it, bake it. It's, you know, sounds so much easier than, than it is, but I do have tools for that. So if you haven't already signed up for my email newsletters, um, I only send things out if it's important. I promise. I'm not, not trying to load up your email inbox. 
I don't even have time to, honestly, so don't, you don't have to worry about that. You can go to my website, wendymichelle.com. Uh, you can find my ebook there, uh, Your Best Diet. You can also find my Creating Wholeness course there, which is just jam-packed full of things like this, but addresses everything from sleep to stress to emotional intelligence and you name it. It's in there. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention that I don't think I've mentioned before is uh, check out Good Job Body. You can actually go to goodjobbody.com for this one, or you can link it through my website. But it's a brand that I created. It's a fun way to teach your children about how awesome they are and how strong they are. And the book actually is only available at goodjobbody.com for lots of reasons that maybe I will cover in another episode. You can also follow me on Instagram if you're not already. Uh, I am doing my best to get content up that will be helpful as well. I'm so grateful for your time. I sincerely mean that. The world is so incredibly noisy right now, and I know that there's a lot competing for your time and attention, so your presence is greatly appreciated. I love y'all. I'm consistently fighting for you on the food front lines, and I remain full of hope because the more I learn, the more I realize that all things are possible. Thank you for listening to Whole, Healthy, and Free. I will be back soon with another edition of the podcast. I invite you to check out my next episode once it becomes available on the Voice America Health and Wellness channel. Until then, stay focused, insist on the truth, and do not quit. You are so much stronger than you realize.